Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings. Today's readings are Revelation chapters 13 through 16. My sister Patty's notes continue. I'm glad to have these to share because I have discovered that I am the least curious person on the planet when it comes to the book of Revelation. I'm perfectly content to read through it, highlight a few key things I want to watch the sky for, and get back to Genesis. Patty Rat's Revelation Rabbit Trails Revelation 13 begins with descriptions of the first and second beast. Here we go. This is part of the great deception. To those who follow and worship the beast, this description sounds terrible. But once again, look at this beast through John's eyes. Revelation 10.3 describes the angel's voice like a lion roar. Chapter 4 has lions all in it, relating back to the tribe of Judah. Now we see reference to a mouth like a lion in 13.2. This is symbolism. Maybe the beast has incredible Bible knowledge like the Lion of Judah. It looks like he's a walking miracle too. I mean, he had a deadly head wound. It's all deception. You are seeing the great deception right here. Don't get caught up in the descriptive. Just know them. The horns, etc. That could be things on a ceremonial garment. It could be part of a uniform. Who can know right now? Well, we will when we see it firsthand and put two and two together. Revelation 13.5. Uh-oh, 42 months. Where did I just see that one? Chapter 11, verse 2. The nations, this could be Gentiles, will occupy the holy city for 42 months. Could this be backing up my theory that the two witnesses can be counterfeited by Satan before the real ones come? Either way, this whole chapter is spelling out a great deception, and many, many will fall for it. But I don't think it's a scary monster at all. I think it's a knowledgeable person who appears in the image we would expect. Ted Bundy looked real nice, didn't he? Smart, law student, always one step ahead. Don't fall for this. Stay alert. Revelation 13, verses 13 through 14, even the second beast has great power and can perform, quote, miracles. The first beast is supposed to make us think he's the return of Yeshua, but since we read the whole Bible, we will know this isn't supposed to happen yet, and we won't fall for this. Revelation 13, 15, people will lose their minds. All those lukewarm people will suddenly be filled with religious zeal for this false Messiah, but wait. Look back to Revelation 13.10. That's the mic drop. Revelation 13.18. He who has understanding. There's so much connected to this number. I believe we will clearly see when it is presented. I think it will be obvious to those who have understanding. Once again, it isn't saying have a deep knowledge, have it all, have it all figured out, or being an expert in this field. It simply says having knowledge. Just normal old folk who read their Bible and having knowledge. That's us. Keep your eyes open and test everything. Christie's note on something to look for in the next reading cycle. 
The adversary has us so focused on him and his mark that most believers don't even know the Father has one also. Hang in there, because we've talked about it a few times in this reading, and we will discuss it again on the next trip through the Word. In today's world, books, movies, and television programs are regularly devoted to speculation about what the mark of the beast is and how to avoid it. While precious little is said in our culture about the mark of the Father and how to make sure we have it. I think our culture's fascination with revelations that tell us of the end times, especially from those who are outside of the faith, over all other books of the Bible that tell us how to live today, now, is further evidence of the adversary having distracted us. We will see Yahweh's name written on the foreheads of those he has sealed in the very next chapter. As we begin in Genesis 1 for the next cycle, we need to keep that in mind. Back to Patty's notes now. Revelation 14.1, here we are at Mount Zion with 144,000. This is the second time we've heard God's voice from heaven. The first was when Yeshua was baptized. Both times was that a renewing or rebirth. I see this as a rebirth of a nation, but not how we view the term today, meaning this is not about the United States. I know that seems obvious, but I'm afraid it won't be in some cases, so I had to point it out. Revelation 14.14 is just a repeat of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 7.13. I think it's important to read all the prophecies leading to this one. John would have known the prophecies of Daniel, and this might have been an aha moment for him. John knew this prophecy, but it's in this moment he probably recognized it. That's why, as Christy, the one who's rushing me, says, it's more important to know the prophecy itself rather than other people's interpretation of it. Revelation 14:19. Woo! The grim reaper reaps the earth of all the dead grass, just like on the farm. It's quick and precise. Daniel chapter 7 seems to expound on this whole chapter, so check that out. Revelation 15:3. Singing the song of Moses, the servant of God. This refers to his ways being righteous. This takes us back to the Old Testament. The seven angels are reading it and applying his way, his statutes. Whoa, Nellie, the text says this was the song of Moses and Yeshua, the Lamb. Does this mean we need both of their messages for salvation, both of their songs? I think that's exactly what this means. Keep in mind that Yeshua is the word made flesh. They were singing this song to God. Wow. These visions are switching from heaven to earth, back and forth in these visions. This chapter is happening in heaven. I don't think we can properly conceive or understand this vision to the fullest because we have a human mind, and so did John. Prior to this chapter, we have already seen 14, 14 judgments sent out by angels, and now we read these are the last seven. Well, thank goodness, because it seems like it's never going to end at this point. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, and now seven bowls. He's describing heavenly things based on earthly understandings. I just wonder what he saw in his environment that he identified as a sea of glass, and if he knew the Song of Moses already. Revelation 15.6 So these messengers, a.k.a. angels, came out of the holy of holy places and were given bowls like those filled with incense in previous chapters that they held as they prayed. Were they in the holy of holies talking with God? On earth, priests went into the holy of holies to receive messages from God. Were these messengers heavenly priests? 
It appears, a Revelation 16.2, it appears that those targeted with the wrath are those who have the mark of the beast. This isn't excluding those followers who felt they had to get the mark of the beast to keep their families alive. I think this shows that we can't sin with the intention of repenting afterwards. Revelation 16.9 They acknowledge God and they know He's the one who's casting this wrath, but they refuse to repent? I can't imagine facing what they have faced and not seriously questioning my belief system. These people are so passionate about their false messiah. They are either confused or evil or both because they were led astray. Maybe they're angry because they accepted that mark but were still secretly believers. I wonder if they would have repented. Would they have been spared further wrath? It keeps saying they did not repent. Christie's Closing Note I can't help but relate this to us today. We've been given so many chances, and yet, in so many ways, we remain a stiff-necked people, pride coursing through us like a ramrod stick, holding our spines straight and preventing us from turning from our ways, which we love. 2 Chronicles 7.14 reverberates in my mind. The knowledge of how to humble ourselves, being poured out like a wisdom fountain in every book leading up to this one, We will continue tomorrow. Test everything. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.